0: So, we're going to start this series uh, in the prophecy of Isaiah, uh, but tonight I just want to kind of do an overview um, of, of um, the prophecy, and, um, and then we'll get into the chapter by chapter as the weeks go on. I don't know what your favorite book in the Old Testament is. Um, I guess for me it would be the Psalms. For me. Any, anyone else have a particular favourite book in the Old Testament? Sorry? The Gospel of John, Gospel of John. okay. Great. Thanks, Tim. Ruth, you like Ruth? Okay. Jonah. Jonah. Oh, we love Jonah, don't we? So it just doesn't end. It just there needs to be a sequel to Jonah. But there you go. No, no one wanted Isaiah as their favorite book. Okay, oh, uh, oh, two, brilliant, three, fantastic. Well, we know who to ask to come and preach over in the series, Edward, so there we go. Um, did you know that apart from the Psalms, Jesus quotes from Isaiah more than any other book in the Old Testament? There you go. It's probably one of the reasons why you like Isaiah, isn't it? Did you know, because of course you did, that the Apostle Paul quotes more from Isaiah in his letters than any other book in the Old Testament? (laughs) Okay. When um, Edward and I were thinking about what we should embark on in a new series, because you know that we like to preach systematically through books of the Bible, and we came to Isaiah. I'd never actually preached through the whole. I'd selected verses, and particularly around Christmas time, and we always come out with some of the Isaiah passages, but I'd never actually preached right through it. And that partly because when I was at Bible college years and years ago, um, I, I had a huge tome on Isaiah. And I started reading it thinking, I'm going to learn all these things. And I kind of fell asleep. Not, nothing to do with the commentator, I'm sure. But it was a heavy, heavy tome. So recently I invested in a, more, uh, a newer uh, commentary. And I was excited by the first line. If the book of Isaiah doesn't make your head hurt, you're not reading it properly. I thought, this man is for me. This commentator is for me. And he went on to say, it is designed to stretch your mind and blow your senses with the greatness of God. You'll know Isaiah is uh, the first of the four major prophets in the Old Testament that we have. Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel. Um, They're placed in that order in terms of length. The major prophets are the longest books. And then we go on to the minor prophets. His contemporaries, if you want to read around Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, were all around the contemporaries of Isaiah. And Isaiah lived and ministered in Jerusalem in the late 8th century before Jesus. And we know uh, from chapter 6, and we'll get to it at some point, and if you were here a few weeks ago, actually, David Sylvester preached from Isaiah chapter 6, um, you'll know the sort of date, the, the, his calling to prophetic ministry came in 740 before Christ. Why do we know that? Because that was the year that King Uzziah died, and it's chronicled for us in the books And in the year that King Uzziah died, politically and nationally, Judah and Israel, the southern and northern kingdom, were moving out of a period of prosperity. They'd had a kind of a a mini golden age. But they were moving out of that into a time of real uncertainty and danger. Uh, The new superpower in the region was emerging Now, you know, we live in a global world and there are superpowers and and they are changing in our very lifetimes. We are seeing what we once thought was the superpower in the world, but they change, don't they? They come, they go. But Assyria was asserting itself in the region. It was the new superpower. And into that kind of situation, God calls Isaiah into ministry, this ministry of prophecy And he speaks through his servant Isaiah. And he speaks to Judah and Israel, but he also speaks to the whole world. Unlike perhaps Amos and Hosea and others, um, Isaiah has, has, he can see the big picture. There is a bigger thing going on here. Isaiah tests our understanding to the limit as he explains to us. That God is bigger than any of us thinks. Now you may have come tonight and you may have had a really big view of God. Well, Isaiah wants you to know it's bigger than that. Much bigger than that. Isaiah has a special name for God that you'll hear 26 times through the prophecy. He calls him the Holy One. The Holy One. Sometimes it's the Holy One of Israel, sometimes it's the Holy One of God, but again and again, Isaiah will refer to God as the Holy One. I don't know much Hebrew. I uh, didn't do so well at Bible college in my Hebrew. Um, but the Hebrew word, I'm told from the commentary, is kadosh. And the closest translation we had of kadosh is holy, holy, or sacred. Or completely other, or set apart, or one of a kind, or in a league of their own, if you want to get more into the message kind of versions of it. And really, the name of God is at the heart of the message of Isaiah. I began uh, with this text as we began to worship. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One of God. The one who is completely other, the one who is set apart, the one who is uniquely sacred, holy. And Isaiah sees by the power of the Holy Spirit, because he speaks by the Holy Spirit, that all Israel's problem, all Judah's problems, all the world's problems actually stem from this one issue of not recognizing who God is. Not recognizing who God is. So, I want to read a passage. And uh, it's taken from chapter 46. And reading from verse 3. And this is just to give you a flavor of of the, the prophecy of Isaiah. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob. All the remnant of the people of Israel. You whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried you since you were born. Even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour gold out of their bags and weigh out silver in the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. And they bow down and worship it. And they lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it in its place and there it stands. And from that spot it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it. It cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I, have, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said that I will bring about, what I have planned that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted. You who are now far from my righteousness I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. And my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion. My splendor to Israel. All of Israel's problems. All of Judah's problems. All of the world's problems. Isaiah sees stemming from not recognising who God truly is. To the extent that some will actually make a God for themselves. Out of metal, silver, and put it in their home and bow to it. Can't hear, can't help. And through the book there will be a challenge to its readers... Of dragging God down to their level. Or making him just equal to many gods. Assyria's gods. Is that why they're so powerful? Or the other superpowers? Some people have described Isaiah as a Bible in miniature. Whether that's because it contains 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. Whether it can be divided into two parts, the first 39 chapters and then the next 27, the first 39 could uh, be described if you read them and that's why some people give up reading Isaiah because it gets a bit judgment, and a bit more judgment. But they confront the readers with God's perfect character and spells out the disastrous consequences Of turning away from him. The second part. Next 27 chapters. New Testament has 27 books. Are known as the book of comfort. They bring consolation to the readers. And remind the readers of God's love and mercy. And it depicts God as wooing them with his promises. If only they would turn. Turn back. Turn away from their sins and wickedness and embrace the Holy One, as their Savior. And more than any other book, perhaps, in the Old Testament, Isaiah reveals the depth of God's character. Through the book, you'll be reminded of God's supremacy and majesty and sovereignty and stunning graciousness. But God is revealed in Isaiah as Trinity. He tells us that God is the father of those who love and serve him. It's quite rare in the Old Testament to have that description of God the Father. Isaiah 63 verse 16, if we could have that. But you are our father through Abraham. Though Abraham does not know us or Israel, acknowledge us. You, Lord, are our father, our redeemer of, from old is your name. And then from Isaiah 64, verse 8, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are the work of your hand. And Isaiah says that it's through the Son, that we are saved. We bring these prophecies out at Christmas. Isaiah 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. And in Matthew's gospel. An angel appears to Joseph. Joseph. And it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Who? The prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, says Matthew, God with us. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in Luke, Gabriel, who appears to Mary, says, You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus. And he will be great and will be called son of the most high. And if we had time, we'd go through all the the passages in Isaiah of the suffering servant. When that child is described as the one who gives his life, his blood. Who is disfigured. Who is pierced. And then Isaiah also Promises the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44 verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on my offspring. And my blessing on your descendants. And elsewhere, uh, twice in chapter 63, he mentions the Holy Spirit by name. Holy Spirit, which is rare in the Old Testament. He, he is described as the Spirit hovering over the waters or the Spirit, but Isaiah mentions him as the Holy Spirit. More than any other book in the Old Testament, Isaiah also reveals the depth of the gospel. Gospel being good news. He reveals the gulf between a holy God, perfect In all his ways and character. The gulf between him and us. But he explains that God himself will come. And sacrifice himself. Offering his sinlessness. For our sinfulness. And that's why Isaiah has been called the evangelist of the Old Testament as well. And consequently, Isaiah, by the Holy Spirit, reveals the depth of God's great plan for the world. Again, as I said earlier, unlike some of his contemporaries, Isaiah saw by the Spirit that God wanted to save the whole world, not just Israel. Whole world. All peoples from all nations. Hence, there is a warning of judgment across the nations. And the promise of God's astonishing grace. One last scripture. Isaiah 49, Mm -hmm. verse 6. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept I will also make you a light for the gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth and just in that overview we get a scope of Isaiah and what he speaks into into the nation into the kingdoms judah and israel but to the whole world and we still need isaiah's insights far more than we'll know i know i'm praying for a meeting that's happening on tuesday i hope it's going to happen president trump meeting kim jong-un When I was in North Korea last year, I wouldn't have believed that that would be a possibility. And in it all, and in all my kind of fears and things, I know that God's at work. God's at work among the nations. God's at work. The passage we read, he raises up people who would surprise you, that he might use in his kingdom purposes. And we might say, really? Really? but to achieve what he wants. And so we pray God's kingdom come, especially on Tuesday, that meeting. We need to take a look, fresh look, at the greatness of our God, and we will through this amazing prophecy of Isaiah. So Isaiah will challenge us that God is bigger than we think, God is holier than we think. God is sterner than we think. God is stronger than we think. God is more gracious than we think. God is more loving than we think. And God is closer than we think. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal No one. No one. Let's pray together. And we're going to worship and cry out to God. Maybe bringing a mixture of songs and prayers to the Lord. But Lord, would you open our eyes to see just how great you are. Would we, not just tonight, but day by day, Have a bigger vision of who you are. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Eyes to see the invisible, ears to hear the inaudible, faith to believe the impossible. And to take the challenge to heart, but also the comfort to heart. That we are in your hands. Almighty God, Holy One. God in three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God whose plan encompasses the whole world and universe. God, who has sent his one and only Son to be the Savior of the world. Lord, as we come back to worship you, may we lift our eyes, lift our hearts, lift our voices in praise of you. For you are worthy, Lord. There is none like you, God. We would not compare you with anything else. You alone are God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.